1: association game. I'm going to give you a company name and you blurt out the first thing that comes to mind. Don't worry about those people around you. They'll understand. Ready? Okay, let's go. Macy's. Now, I'm betting that many of you said or thought things like parade, New York, or department store. And of course, you wouldn't be wrong. But for all of those, and the many other things that may have come to mind, I'm willing to bet that the following weren't among them. Tattoo, Haverhill, Massachusetts, and Benjamin Franklin. And yet all of those are closely tied to the person whose story I'm going to share today, Roland Hussey Macy, the founder of Macy's Department Stores. I'm Kelly Barner, your host for this episode of This Week in Business History on Supply Chain Now, and I love history. I'm a proud Bostonian, and it's hard to be a lover of history and grow up in Boston and not feel like you've been given a bit of an edge. As far as I'm concerned, we invented American history. And yet, I'll be honest that I had no idea the founder of Macy's was from Massachusetts. If you enjoy the unique blend of storytelling and business history that Scott Luton and I share on this week in business history, please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast and share a review. That will help others find us. With that said, let's get back to this week's business history story, the founding of Macy's. Roland H. Macy was born on August 30th, 1822 on the island of Nantucket. The smaller and further away of Massachusetts's most noteworthy islands as an exclusive as Martha's Vineyard or the Vineyard is Nantucket is a whole other step up. Nantucket actually means faraway land in the language of the native Wampanoags. But in the early 19th century there wasn't much going on there besides whaling. At the time Nantucket was the home to more millionaires than any other part of the country. Roland Macy's father was a whaler, and so he was a whaler as well. Whaling is the industry that gave R.H. Macy his start, and that gave the future Macy's chain its brand identity. Macy's got its single red star logo from a tattoo he had on his arm. R.H. Macy sailed as part of the crew of the whaling ship Emily Morgan after he turned 15, and he got the tattoo on one of those voyages. While Macy's didn't incorporate the star into their branding until 1949, it is generally accepted that his tattoo was the inspiration. Whaling also gave Macy his first opportunity to earn money. He earned about $550 on his first voyage, the equivalent of $13,000 today. That might not sound too bad, especially for 1840, but keep in mind that the typical whaling voyage was six months long. Macy was disappointed in his wages, and so at age 19 he decided to move to Boston and become a printer's apprentice. He had read about Benjamin Franklin's success and wanted to model his own career after the founding father. Interestingly, Ben Franklin is actually in Macy's family tree. But then again, so are John Lithgow, Humphrey Bogart, Kevin Bacon, Linda Hamilton, Raquel Welch, and Kira Sedgwick. Despite the blood relationship between Franklin and Macy, printing wasn't in his DNA like retailing was. And yet, How does a boy from Nantucket end up as the founder of a major metropolitan department store? Retailing was in his blood. Or, being more appropriate for the era, dry-gooding was in his blood. His father ran a store on Nantucket that he had worked in growing up, and then in 1844, Macy opened a needle and thread store in Boston. Four years later, in 1848, the gold rush began. Macy became one of the hundreds of thousands of people who headed west to make their fortune. And he was among the smartest. He didn't plan to make his gold by mining or luck. He planned to do what he knew best and open a store to make money off the miners. Macy and his brother Charles opened a dry goods store in 1849 in Marysville, California, and it failed. Charles stayed in California after that, but Roland headed back east. Despite the store's failure in California, Macy stayed at it, opening four retail dry goods stores between 1843 and 1855. One of them was the first store that would bear the Macy's name, and it was based in Haverhill, Massachusetts. Now I wanna pause here quickly for a Massachusetts speech lesson. Wait, don't laugh, why are you laughing? Haverhill is spelled H-A-V-E-R-H-I-L-L. But please don't say Haverhill. That is not the way you say it. Spelling and pronunciation have almost nothing to do with each other when you're in Massachusetts. It is what it is. Next time, we'll do Worcester. Now, Haverhill was a mill town, with the Merrimack River providing much of the power needed to operate their hydro-powered machines. Haverhill was home to woolen mills, tanneries, shipping and shipbuilding. And by the end of 1913, one in ten pairs of shoes produced in the entire United States came from the city. That also meant there were lots of people who needed dry goods, and Macy planned to supply them. And yet this store, like the other three he opened during that same window of time, failed. All four of them. And so Macy took the only logical next step. He went to New York. Macy opened his first New York City location at the corner of 6th Avenue and 14th Street. Macy's didn't move to their iconic 34th Street location, also known as Herald Square, until 1902, 25 years after he passed away. That location has over a million square feet, and it is the largest store in the world. Macy's first day of business in New York was October 28, 1858. Sales totaled $11.08, equal to about $350 today. But that is par for the course. If you don't believe me, go back and listen to my This Week in Business History episode about John Wanamaker, the man who literally invented department stores. He got off to a slow start in Philadelphia, just like R.H. Macy got off to a slow start in New York City. But Macy's luck was about to change. According to Success.com, Macy's New York location ended up having between 85 dollars and $90,000 in sales in its first year, even with a looming recession. Like Wanamakers, Macy's expanded into neighboring buildings as the business grew, opening up more and more departments he was personally involved in the use of Santa Claus, themed exhibits, and illuminated window displays as publicity tactics. As an aside, the R.H. Macy character featured in the 1947 movie Miracle on 34th Street was a portrayal that depicted him as alive and still running the company 70 years after his death in real life. Back in his actual timeline, things were really looking up. Bit by bit, more customers started to roll in, and they kept coming back for multiple reasons. According to businessinsider.com, Macy's was one of the first stores to print the price of goods in their newspaper ads and offer money-back guarantees if customers were unsatisfied with their purchases. Macy also introduced innovations like tea bags, Idaho-baked potatoes, and colorful bath towels to the New York City market. In the 1860s, Macy's became the first retail store to get a liquor license and serve beverages on site, which may have had something to do with customer loyalty. Macy's became the largest department store in the world in 1924, the same year they ran the first Thanksgiving parade. Macy's also offered its own made-to-measure clothing line for both men and women, and the orders were assembled in an on-site factory. In 1875, Macy took on two partners, Robert Valentine and Abel LaForge. Two years later, he would pass away from Bright's disease, an older way of describing kidney disease, while in Paris, France. By the time Roland H. Macy died, his store had grown to occupy 11 Connecticut buildings on 13th and 14th streets in New York City, and his net worth was $1.5 million. Let's talk about his retail legacy. The last few years have not been kind to retailers. In 1994, Macy's merged with Federated Department Stores, a company that also owns Bloomingdale's. In February of 2020, Just before the pandemic hit, Macy's had 680 stores, including their Bloomingdale's locations. The company had just laid off 2,000 employees and closed 125 stores. As of early 2022, Macy's had about 500 locations open. And yet, as our supply chain listeners will know, business size is no longer tied to bricks and mortar locations and footprint. Macy's is an omni-channel retailer, meaning that they have physical stores as well as an internet or direct-to-consumer presence. They employed a chief supply chain officer, Dennis Malehi, for the first time in 2020, and he has spoken about the investment that the company is making in digital supply chain transformation. Malahi is responsible for sourcing, inventory management and analytics, transportation, distribution and operations, procurement, and sustainability. Macy's plan was to transition from two separate warehouse networks, where one serves stores and the other supports e-commerce sales, to one centralized network. Their plan was expected to save $900 million by this year. An earnings report is expected on August 23rd after this episode is recorded. So we'll all have to check and see how that expectation aligned with the actual report. Regardless, a retail chain that got its start from a guy tough enough to be a whaler on Nantucket, hopeful enough to tie his fortunes to the gold rush, and brave enough to keep getting back up and trying again and again despite consecutive failures, should have what it takes to make it through this period of challenge and change. After all, they are the only retail chain I know of that has a tattoo on its arm nationwide. On that note, it is time to wrap up this edition of This Week in Business History. Thank you so much for tuning into the show each week. Don't forget to check out the wide variety of industry thought leadership available at supplychainnow.com. As a friendly reminder, you can find This Week in Business History wherever you get your podcasts from, and be sure to tell us what you think. We would love to earn your review, and we encourage you to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. On behalf of the entire team here at This Week in Business History and Supply Chain Now, this is Kelly Barner wishing you all nothing but the best. We'll see you here next time on This Week in Business History.